Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, help us to hear your word and help Albert to speak with clarity and with conviction. Amen. Kingdoms rise and fall. That's what I want us to start with, that idea. I had the privilege in 1999 to go to Cambodia for a mission trip. And at the end of the trip, we traveled up to Angkor Wat. And if you're unfamiliar with Angkor Wat, it's one of the seven wonders of the world and an ancient, mostly Buddhist civilization. And it was the first time that I personally got a sense of kingdoms rising and falling. Uh, when I saw the, you know, the, the, just the buildings and whatnot, the structures first came into my view, the first thought was be, to be able to imagine what it would be like in its pristine state. And certainly there was a certain majesty, glory, just the architectural wonder of its time. But then reality hit, and then very much looking like what you see in the image, it looked more like ruins to me. And it was hard to put that together. How could something, a civilization that was so glorious, become a ruin? Even there was an eerie feeling of just even hauntedness. But kingdoms rise and fall. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to just sweep through history. I want to take you on a quick uh, light speed um, illustration of just kingdoms rising and falling through history. This is about 2000 uh, before Christ before the common era and not much the colors are where you see some population and mostly along some fertile lands along the nile river etc we're going to jump by 500 years at a time going to 1500 uh, bc and then you see the population slowly growing you see even in the far east uh, an asian population i guess starting to grow then a thousand before Christ, now you, you, you see it starting to grow even more. Uh, Israel is on the scene, God's people. Uh, you see in the pink, if you can notice that, a kind of uh, fuchsia series also listening to the gospel here. <laughs> My watch just talked to me. Um, that little pink part, the, the, the Greek empire is starting to form. You jump another 500 to 500 BC, and all of a sudden you see a huge blob of green. Uh, these are descendants of um, Iranians, and they were powerful during that time. And of course, we jumped around Jesus' time, and all of a sudden you see the green shrink, and now you see, curiously, a large purple blob uh, on this side here. That's the Roman Empire, and now the East is growing. You jump another 500 years, so approximately 500 AD now, after Christ in the year of our Lord, and it's much more of a kaleidoscope now. And I hope you're getting the sense. Kingdoms rising and falling. 
shrinking and growing. You jump another 1,000 years or 500 years to about 1,000 AD, and now it's spreading even more. You see some what looks like Europe, but again, colors are getting smaller, and kingdoms are shrinking, growing, mostly shrinking. And then another to, to the 1500s. Now you see the Americas starting to be populated, mostly by Portugal, reaching um, Central and South America. And now around 2000. This was in 1999. And now you see the, the world has been populated. But through all this time, kingdoms have been rising and falling. And in those moments, maybe if you're a citizen of, let's say, when the British Empire was expanding, Maybe as a British national, a citizen, there was a pride that my ethnicity, my culture, my country is the most supreme. Now, what's the gospel's alternative narrative to all this? And first, we want to ask, as kingdoms rise and fall, this is not only about governments and countries, but even at everyday life level, your sports and your teams, and, and we see your favorite team rising and falling. For Toronto fans, the Jays seem like they're coming back from out of the ashes. But the gospel's alternative narrative, first it, it will ask the question, which one of these dominions will last? Will be the last one standing? And not only standing, but, but to last beyond history, because what the Bible declares is that there will come a definitive end. There will be an end to history, to time as we know it. And God will inaugurate and consummate His eternal kingdom. So which one will remain standing at the end? Today, I want us to really think about then the third part of our vision. And Jesus ends uh, His ministry on earth before He ascends. And Matthew concludes His gospel this way with a vision of Christ and His longing for His new city. If, if you're not familiar with what I mean by new city, don't worry, we're going to get into that. But the mechanism behind it, the way it'll come about is that we learn to be a blessing, and I'll show you that as well. And so my hope and prayer for all of us, myself included, that as we work through the passage, the whole point of meditating on Scripture, sort of end game, is that we by faith relate to God. We by faith respond to God's call to us through His Word and the Spirit bringing it alive and, and begin to pray and then live out faith in our everyday lives. So I hope that there will be a prayer something similar to this. Lord, help me to live out Your new commission. We've probably traditionally heard this last passage being called the Great Commission, which it is, and I take nothing away from that. But I want to show you an aspect of it that is a new commission. It falls nicely in line with our vision of a new culture and a new community and a new city, even built on Jesus' new covenant. So I want to ask a simple question. How do I live out Jesus' new commission? And so I hope this both uh, helps to uh, nourish motivation in your heart, because Christianity first has to start at the heart, at the heart level, our heart being transformed from the inside out by Jesus and His grace, but certainly it's meant to be practical, and we need practical ways to live it out. So first, how do I live out Jesus' new commission? The first big idea I want you to see with me in Scripture is enter Jesus' new story. Now, we're picking up where we left off last week, and if you were with us last week, you might be scratching your head. Didn't you talk about this last week? But 
building Christ's new city, it has to be an overflow from being in Jesus' new story, being a character and playing a role in Jesus' new story and entering that story each and every morning when we awake and rejoicing in it, just uh, uh, debriefing yourself and, and with God and maybe your family and friends about how that day was uh, in living out this new story of Jesus. So where do we see this? So we go back to verse 18, and Jesus came, the resurrected Jesus, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Write in those words, all authority and make disciples. This whole notion of making disciples for the Bible reader, for certainly Jesus' disciples, they would have recognized the sort of the template, if you will, the pattern of what Jesus was um, commanding here and mandating. And I want you to be able to connect the dots in Scripture. And so I'm going to take us all the way back to Genesis 1 because what Jesus was saying here, what He was mandating, would have rung a bell of something that these disciples would have learned as children and through their lives. And it was just a part of their being and their worldview going all the way back to Genesis. And we go back to Genesis and creation and picking up in chapter 1, verse 28, and God blessed them. So first see that as God created man, Adam and Eve, his desire is to bless them and they're to overflow that blessing. I'm convinced that God is wanting us to overflow, overflow blessing because God said to them, be fruitful. If that is not an imagery of blessing, then I don't know what is. And multiply, that's blessing. God blessed them to be a blessing, be fruitful and multiply. And here God, well, and Jesus too, we know, we're starting to go down a rabbit trail, but Jesus was there at creation. And so God, He is commanding now literally back then in creation before sin entered the world, the way they were to multiply was physically to, by, by just creating big, wonderful, beautiful families and to fill the earth. And subdue it. Subdue here means to cultivate, to make something good out of it. Not only to multiply uh, your flesh and blood, your progeny, but also to cultivate the earth and, and let there be so much wonderful return on investment and cultivation and, and making the earth even more bountiful than it already is and have dominion. See, this word is a synonym for authority. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, the original listeners, and we are to in a similar way today, understand that the, what Jesus is saying is very similar to the original commission. Or maybe as we speak of Old Testament, New Testament, the old commission. And now Jesus is about to give a new commission. And it certainly involves authority. So here we see the deepest meaning of life. There's a reason why, if we're honest, for a lot of us, something deep down inside, we want families. We want to be able to multiply. We want to uh, be successful in our businesses, in our work. We want to be fruitful. Because that's how God has hardwired creation and life. And before sin entered the world, when we were devoid of greed and, and every other just evil and, and in pursuing our desires, this 
would have happened in a wonderful, pure, beautiful, good way. And so that's there. We're hardwired for that. Now then Jesus, as he says, coming back to the new commission, I hope you can see the similarity. Now Jesus, he is redeeming that old commission. But as he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, so meaning he is the new Adam, as Paul wonderfully teaches in other letters. Jesus is redeeming what Adam failed at. And now Jesus is the new and final Adam, and all authority has been given to him to live out what God originally commissioned, but now it's in a new way. And we see it in verse 19 when he says, make disciples. This is not the same as making sons and daughters from your own flesh and blood through procreation, through physical procreation. The way Jesus makes the old commission new is to now say, to put it in different words, go and make spiritual children. And so first, a comforting word. I hope this comes across pastorally and properly, that those in this life who have had difficulty having children, or perhaps you're single and you wonder, will you ever have the opportunity to bear physical children? I want, or perhaps you've lost a child. I want to comfort you with the gospel. That the, now what Jesus says is the most deepest meaning to life is not just bearing physical children, but you can experience the deepest joy and happiness as you bear spiritual children for God's kingdom. As you lead others to Christ. And I don't say that trivially. I don't say that as an easy fix. But that's sort of the big picture goal, the, the big picture, just something we can work towards that if we understand, because even if I have a hundred children, right, but they don't believe in Jesus, and I'm not with them in eternity, what's the goodness in that? But if I can never, and I'm, I'm barren physically in this life, but I see a lot of people come to Christ through my witness, and my spending time with them, and walking with them, and showing them ways of grace, and pointing them to Jesus, and meditating on the Word, and, and we're all together in eternity. Of course, I hope, hopefully I'm convincing you that that's better than just not knowing Christ and having a wonderful physical family on this earth. And so Jesus, he, he tweaks the old commission and makes it even better. And so this first point, how do I live out Jesus' new commission? First, enter a story. And so what I want you to see is this, this epic story. From the beginning, God had a certain plan, his original commission, but then sin came and sabotaged that. And God tried to work out that plan of multiplying and filling the earth, uh, mainly through Israel, but they failed at that. And so now we see Jesus providing a way that is eternal, that will last beyond history, that goes beyond, is more powerful than just flesh and blood multiplication. And so when you wake up each day as a Christ follower, and this is the invitation for anyone who's still investigating, your joy, your hope, your confidence, your motivation is that you're part of this epic story, the, the story that 
I believe Matthew and Jesus are inviting us to enter this new story so that every day you can have a confidence that you are a part of reversing the curse. You, in very real concrete ways, as you go about your business, as you go about your studies, your friendships, your relationships, every part of life with the motivation that I'm Christ and I want to continue to build his kingdom, his new city. You are part of the most important overarching story that will last to the end beyond this time and into eternity. You're part of reversing the curse. Remind yourself of that. Just try. I invite you, try and experiment. Remind yourself of that every morning, maybe three times a day as you're in the thick of a toxic uh, environment at work perhaps, or, or people just, there's a cloud. Hanging over. Try reminding yourself, no, the story that I'm living out is God's great redemptive story, and I'm picking up and entering into Jesus' new story, his new commission, and I'm a part of finishing what Adam couldn't, what Israel couldn't. And now Jesus filling the church with his spirit that we can actually even fight the pandemic and so forth and on and whatever cause you are passionate about on this earth, that I can do it with the confidence that as I do this in Christ, under his uh, wisdom and his leadership and motivation to glorify him, that this will go on to eternity. Next thing I want you to see with me then is not only are we individually meant to enter, but we're supposed to keep inviting others to see their story through Jesus' story as well. Now, just to um, maybe remove some inhibitions and so forth, we're doing this all the time in our culture. I mean, just think back to cult, uh, conversations at work um, with coworkers or friends. We're always sharing the next best thing that's kind of helping us in life, right? So it's a normal part of our everyday conversations. And so as Christ followers, this is just our sharing, our story. And I want to encourage you, to sort of, in a good sense, kind of demystify it and just share, as anyone else would, of what works for them, of what is helpful for them. That you would just, in your common everyday language, just share matter-of-factly, that's great that that works for you. What works for me is this. Now, of course, we're not, our motivation isn't to offer Jesus just as an alternative. No, we, we believe that he is the option. <laughs> Because he's the one option that lasts not only for this life, but for the next. But, but at least to, to garner some confidence. Because I know a lot of us might struggle with that. Maybe just to tweak your perspective. And therefore, to live into this command. You're going to see, I hope you'll see with me that it's a command. It's not a suggestion by Jesus, but it's a command to keep inviting others to see their story through Jesus' new story. And we see this in Jesus' simple word, go therefore and make disciples. Now, in the original language, that's just one word in the Greek. In the English, it's played out uh, in two words. 
But what I want you to first understand that this is an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not an option. But for every Christ follower, it's meant to be something that we obey. It's on the forefront, on the front burner, always in front of us for the rest of our lives until he calls us home. That a prime objective for a Jesus follower, a Jesus worshiper, is to make disciples. Now let me unpack this. Um, the English doesn't do the best job in bringing it out. It just brings out one side. It's two sides of one coin, and it brings out one side of the coin, which is to make disciples. But honestly, in church history, there have been a lot of pastors and leaders who weren't true Christians, but they did a great job of teaching and making other disciples. That's just the God-honest truth, the hard truth. But the actual word, it has another side. It also means to be a disciple, to be discipled. And so in the word itself, it's be and make disciples. And that keeps us honest. Even as we seek to make disciples, that keeps me honest as a pastor, you know, who vocationally is seeking to make disciples. It keeps me honest because I also have to be a disciple. My family keeps me honest. My kids keep me honest. My wife keeps me honest. And, and, and I give permission for you to keep, keep me honest. That even as I preach and, and teach and so forth, that I am living out my faith to be and make disciples. Now, there are three other strong words around make disciple. If you uh, notice, there's go, therefore, and by therefore, Jesus is saying, because all authority has been given to him, meaning I'm giving you a new commission, therefore the logical application to all this, the logical way to live this all out is to now go make disciples because it's Jesus' kingdom that is going to last forever. And there is this other strong word, go, and baptizing and teaching. you got to appreciate a little bit of grammar here, right? Uh, these actually aren't main verbs. There's only one main action word in Jesus' new commission, and it's to be and make disciples. That's the main central idea. And then go, baptizing, teaching, they're verbs, they're called participles, if you uh, are into that, and they describe the main word. They describe the main verb. So be and make disciples who are going. And that word going means wherever you're going or where God sends you. Be and make disciples wherever you find your station in life, at work, at home, at school, etc., etc., And then be and make disciples baptizing. We're going to go a little bit deeper into the whole notion of baptizing in a second, so just hold on. And of course, teaching. Teaching everything that Jesus commanded. That's what he says. And, and when you, if you look at Jesus' words in the Gospels, he affirms the inspiration, the, just the, the, the divine aspect of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. So all there, we're meant to study it uh, diligently, not just the New Testament, because the Old Testament sets up the New Testament and really gives even more beautiful uh, context to the New Testament. And of course, we have the Gospels and all the 
uh, words of, you could call it the red letters for some of our Bibles. The words of Jesus and His commands. But certainly we can also very confidently and strongly conclude that Jesus gave His apostles to have authoritative word. And so the rest of the New Testament is also included in Jesus' teaching overall. And of course, this teaching includes the New Commission. And so the beauty of this, from a, say, a business standpoint, scalability, <laughs> Jesus was master because the disciple that he defines is a disciple who makes disciples. And then it becomes a perpetual cycle. It's meant to be, and in fact, as we look back on the past 2,000 years, the church, God has been so good to grow the church because disciples continue to make disciples who make disciples and on and on and on. And so to summarize, just to make it a definition, disciple, how would we define it from Jesus' definition? Disciple is a follower, student, or learner of Jesus who invites others into the same. Let's just pause there. It's very easy to forget who we are. I mean, we're just living in a city like Toronto. So many built-in stresses and voices and demands and, and honking and angry people and so forth. It's so many voices. And, and, and we easily forget who we are. I want to declare, I want to proclaim as a, Beautiful reminder to all of us, myself included. We are first sons and daughters in Christ if we've placed faith in Him. And then what that means next is we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus. Learners, lifelong learners of Jesus. And just as a natural overflow, we're meant to invite others into the same. Just to elaborate on that, just to paraphrase it, a disciple is discipled and makes disciples. A very simple, practical uh, question you can ask in your, your inner heart conversation with God each day is, Lord, what do you want me to learn today? What are you trying to teach me today? How do you want me to mature today? Just that simple little question. And that will keep you on that path of discipleship. A disciple is discipled and makes disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching Jesus and His commands, which includes making disciples. So let's go a little deeper into these aspects of being and making a disciple, and especially baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the beautiful Christian truths is that from eternity past to eternity future, even if the universe was never created, even if humans were never created, there was perfect love in the Trinity. There was perfect family and fellowship, the Father, Son, and Spirit. But God and who He is, how He overflows His character is that He wants to include as many as He can in His family. And so he creates Adam and Eve who are meant to, who are meant to physically multiply and enjoy eternal life and just grow the biggest beautiful family who is God's family and being a part of this perfect family relationship. 
Just imagine, you know, that perfect family photo and, and it being actually real. A lot of our family photos, we put on that smile, dressed up for that day, but then the stories behind that is a lot of shouting and stress to get even to that photo and so forth. But imagine the perfect family photo that actually is. It's the Trinity. And before sin enters the world, all humanity. And so now Jesus giving his new commission where the old commission failed. And in fact, the old commission, what it led to was us being partly us running away, saying, I don't want to live here anymore and and running away in rebellion and sin, but also it's two-sided, double-edged. God, because he's holy and perfect, also had to put a ban. And his fellowship with us was broken. But even from that very moment that Adam and Eve were banished, God already was putting into motion his plan to redeem. And it comes down to this moment where Jesus gives us the new commission. And Jesus is saying, now keep on unfolding God's plan to bring back as many into his family. And we see it in baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you see the the Trinity there? And for Jesus' culture, if you put your name, if a, a father put his name on someone, they became like flesh and blood. They became as important and near and dear. And the proof in the pudding is who gets the inheritance. If you had the name of someone on you, then you had every right to their inheritance. And so Jesus, in other words, is saying, baptize them, have this physical symbol of washing with water, and the meaning behind it, I want my disciples to remember when they are baptized, again, this is part of the command. It's all wrapped up in the command. And so this is a command to be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized yet as a Christ follower, you must be baptized. I'm going to say it strong like that. You must be baptized. It's not an option. It's a command. But what Jesus wants us to be reminded of is that we are brought into the family. To to try to grasp that just you know none of us have a perfect family but just try to think of a moment where you you just wow my i love being a part of my family i feel the love of my family in this moment i hope every one of us have at least had one moment like that and now multiply that by infinity this is what god has done in christ what he's offering to us and and jesus wants us to be reminded of that to have this physical, concrete experience, this sensory experience of being washed with water and being hearing the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and Spirit, and being brought into his family. To use other language from Jesus, then, Jesus' new story is about Jesus' new covenant, then. See, covenant is, is, we might not say it this way, but I think in family experience, in family life, that's where someone who is a physical father or mother, they will feel most strongly in life the actual willingness to be so committed that you'll die for 
your flesh and blood. I know in those moments where I've, I've connected with that emotion and just the thought of the possibility of that, it's only with my family that I can go to that place of commitment. And of course, for my Lord. But what I'm trying to say is, we might not use the word covenant, but, but family is the place where people intuitively understand covenant. That I'm committed to you through thick and thin. Now, apart from God, that's why we say that blood is thicker than water, right? But what Jesus' new story is about then is this new covenant, which means a new covenant community. That's why Jesus gives this instruction as part of his new commission. The way you're going to be and make disciples is that you bring people into the family with this symbol that reminds them, that preaches to their heart as a wonderful memory that they have been brought into the new covenant community and God the Father will never forsake you even though He forsook His own Son, but He forsook His Son on the cross so that you might never be forsaken because of grace. So understand that this new story is about God's new covenant community. And now I want to show you that there, even though new covenant community might sound like a fancy term, it's, it should be very familiar because it's just a synonym for the church. It's a synonym for Christ's bride. It's a synonym for the new Jerusalem. It's a synonym for the new city. And so baptism is a very important part of this new commission. It's a sign of the new covenant. September is wedding month for me and Linda. Three weddings in a row. Just, I was at a beautiful wedding yesterday. Um, a week before, and we have one more coming up, all, all TGC uh, family members. And they all exchanged rings, which is a sign, a physical concrete symbol and sign of their marriage covenant. And baptism is meant to be that for the Christ follower in the relationship with the Trinity. And so Paul explains in Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with him. That's If you're dunked, that's the dunking. Or if you're washed, the symbol of that your old self is dying and you're looking for new life. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul goes on to explain and really draws out the covenantal aspect of it in Colossians. In Him also you were circumcised. A circumcision made without hands. See, circumcision was Israel's old covenantal sign. A physical cutting. But now a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, meaning you're united to Christ and you're dying with Christ to your sins, to your flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What's the circumcision of Christ? Paul explains, having been buried with Him in baptism. See, baptism is the new covenantal sign in which you are also raised with Him through faith. So, circles again. You know I like circles. So, this represents you. And self, not in a selfish, self-absorbed way, just you, okay? And you and I are meant to first be disciples. 
then our most immediate circle of influence is our flesh and blood family. So first, a, a, a word to parents. You are your child's first discipler. Not a Sunday school program. Not, oh Lord, please not school. Not YouTube. Not media. But certainly, the world is seeking to make disciples as well. You are your child's first discipler. And then beyond flesh and blood, maybe extended family, then we all have circles of influence. Our friends, our co-workers, and just wherever our paths go and the paths that cross. And of course, some of us will even receive a very explicit call from God to go to another part of the world. And so I'm here I'm trying to show you the, the domain, if you will, the, the, just the, the, the geography, in a sense, of our discipleship and who we're meant to be dis- meant to disciple. And all of this, how do I live out Jesus' new commission? The final big idea that I want you to see with me, we need to actively look forward to the end of Jesus' new story. Actively look forward. What's the action? It's to be and make disciples. We're not just to hope in Jesus. We're to be doing something, being something, as we hope and not just waiting, but an active waiting. And Jesus ends, and Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus' words, and behold, Matthew's last behold. The past few years, we've paid attention to where Matthew says, behold, because that's his just, in, uh, you know, not beating around the bush, very clear, direct way to say, pay attention to this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is going to be at the end of the story. How comforting is that? If you've been on a business trip and you miss your family while you're on that business trip or a mission trip and you're just waiting to see the face of a loved one or some friend that you can just say, sight for sore eyes. You're a sight for sore eyes. Jesus will be there at the end of the age. And so Emmanuel God, God with us, He is not only with us in that time of 33 years or so while He was on this earth, but He's with us now through His Spirit and through His Word and through the church, and He will be with us. He will greet us at the end of the story. And so again, Jesus' new story is about Jesus' new covenant and being His new covenant community. And so now I want to show you that it's all about building His city. Going back to the Old Testament, just draw one passage from the Psalm. Psalm 87, on the holy mount stands the city... Notice the city he founded, God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. That's the name of God's city, and that's just a synonym for Jerusalem. More than all the dwelling places of Jacob, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And so in the Old Testament, there was a hope and longing for this final city. I'm going to jump forward now to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11. But as it is, this is the hall of faith. All these saints who had true faith, as it is they desire a better country. Now, God expands it to a country, a heavenly one, and then getting specific. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. What's this city? Jump to Revelation 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, new Zion, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And of course, Paul makes it clear, absolutely clear, this whole notion of even marriage is a metaphor that God built into life to help us understand the ultimate marriage, that it refers to Christ and the church. The city is a bride. It's the church. And Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 16, that's why Jesus says, I will build my church. And so that's why our vision at Trinity Grace is to overflow God's grace, to be a blessing and build Christ's new city, to build up his church because we serve as what Jesus said, salt of the earth, light on a hill, a preview of what's to come. Now, what we need to understand is then is this big circle is all of Jesus' domain over all the universe, over this earth. Of course, we're wondering, where does the church fit into all this then? Now, even under Jesus' domain, we saw last week God's common grace. This source presents what we'll say just very symbolically the city of man, meaning man's ambition to make this country, this world, his kingdom. And yet God pours out common grace. And where does the church fit in then? The church is God's new city. And so even our little local gathering here, we are a little new city in the midst of Leaside, in the midst of greater Toronto. And those of us not just experiencing God's common grace, but receiving his saving grace. And so I want you to understand this yellow circle, the big circle, I want you to understand it as the kingdom. And there's a difference between the church and the kingdom. There's a slight difference. The church is the gathered people of Christ who have placed faith in him. And the kingdom, the reason why it's different is because when you study passages about the church, and especially Jesus, Matthew 16, says, I will build my church. This is something that you and I are actively supposed to be a part of. But when you study the passages of the kingdom, the kingdom is always inherited. It's something at the end. Maybe it means the entire earth, the new earth, and, and God's reign, and being part of this reign, it's something that we inherit. And so the church is built in history, and then the church inherits the kingdom because we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. We're heirs. But while we're on this earth then, what is the church to do? The church's precious role, Ephesians chapter 3, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places meaning even beyond prime ministers and actual human beings who are leaders on this earth, there's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realms. And it plays out through the stage of this earth and through politics and governments and so forth. But the church were meant to be declaring 
our great and final hope, the one true hope. Now I want you to get uh, an appreciation for the scope of the church. I love these little sort of golden nugget verses that are easy to pass over, but they're, they have, they're just ripe with um, deep insight. And in Colossians, the letter towards the end, Paul just sort of almost, uh, you know, just happenstances, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, and this is a lady, the church in her house. And we get a sense that the church was kind of grassroots, almost unseen. Almost, you just look over it like grass. Now certainly we live in very precarious times, or even the church, the church of Jesus Christ, even our church, Trinity Grace Church, there's, there's different opinions of how to navigate the pandemic, how to relate to the government, and so forth, and, and on and on and on and on. And there's a part of us that wishes we could just be almost like another political government that opposes another political government and exacts change and, and go about those sort of governmental political routes. But I want you to see that Christ's church waiting for the kingdom was very uh, unassuming. These little pockets of the church, almost grassroot-like. And the way that we're meant to influence the world, change the world if we are to, is from a grassroots place. What do I mean? Another wonderful little nugget. As Paul ends his letter to the Romans, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. And notice this, Erastus, the city treasurer. Can you imagine that? The treasurer of Rome, the city. He is high up there. Sort of the minister of finance, if you will. But he believed in Christ. And swallowing, he's in a position. And who knows what he was able to, to, how he was able to influence during his time. But here we see someone who has made a disciple and the prime objective being, let's be and make more disciples. And of course, grassroots means as we grow more and more numerable and have more and more influence, then we will see change. As opposed to, let's say, like a little insurrection, uh, uh, try, just a little group of people trying to make a point and physically, violently trying to exact change. No, we see it in a much more grassroots level going from down to up. Another example from Paul recorded in the book of Acts. He's standing before King Agrippa, who was like a premier, if you will. He was called King Agrippa, but he was like the premier of an Israeli province under Rome. But with him, it's not in this passage, but there was Festus, who was like a crown attorney, and Bernice, the daughter of this King Agrippa, so we'll call her a princess. And he's standing before these three influential people, and he's explaining the gospel. What you, I want you to see is, Paul has the presence of these high and mighty people. And what does he do? He doesn't put forward possible law changes and bill changes, but in that moment, as he has their captive audience, is attempting what? To make King Agrippa a disciple. 
So much so that King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? That was Paul's strategy. The way, if there's going to be any governmental change, any so forth, it's because we see more and more people become disciples of Christ and from there naturally have this influence. I'm just saying what I see in Scripture. So practically speaking then for you and me, be a blessing. See, our prime objective when we follow Christ, when we place our faith in Christ from this point until He calls us home. For the rest of our lives, we're meant to figure out what it means to be and make disciples and build up Jesus' new city, His church, His bride, as we wait to inherit His kingdom. I know that then goes into a lot of specifics. You know, I, I know I'm, I'm giving you the forest. I'm giving you the forest. And I know there are a lot of trees that we have to discern and talk about. And what does that mean then very precisely and practically in the issue of blank? I get it. But let's not forget the forest. Let's not forget the forest. That we're to be a blessing and build up Jesus' new city, His church. And so this week, with the new community signups, we're just about organized. And so this week, uh, for certain, if you're on our email list, then you'll receive an invitation to join a new community, but also you'll receive an invitation to volunteer, to serve, to be a part of the church. We have many needs. There's always just perennially needs. And so please, whether it's to be a part of a new custodianship ministry. That's just our, you know, trying to keep the alliteration, right? Uh, way of just trying to be faithful and with our stewardship and, and managing our finances, the building, etc. Our new culture ministries uh, about creating a gospel culture, um, teaching and so forth and prayer. Our new community ministries, for sure, uh, facilitating a new community, hosting one. Uh, these days, they're more online, so at least being the Zoom host and so forth. And in our new city ministries, we have ESL. We have, uh, we're, we're committed to some amazing, uh, hitting it out of the park Christian organizations like Men Ending Trafficking that deals with, like the name says, uh, human trafficking, uh, the Jesus Network, and so forth. So you'll see that email this week. But first, what I want you to take away is I, I hope the Spirit is moving your heart, rekindling your heart to be a blessing and to build up His new city. So Lord, help me to live out Your new commission.